Welcome to Crazy Enough to Win. I'm your host, John Grubbs. Welcome to the podcast. Now, we've got something fascinating for you today, something remarkable for you today, something that is the very essence of this podcast, going big, going against the grain. And you probably listened to a recent episode about the crazy Anders Tegnell, the architect of the Swedish response to COVID-19. And you might be thinking, Brother Anders is an anomaly. He's a, he's a different kind of scientist. He's unusual. And if we look at him as the architect for Sweden's response to COVID-19, we can see him in isolation. Well, guess what? He's not alone. He's not alone. There are other credible, intelligent scientists who believe that the lockdown approach to the novel coronavirus is the wrong approach. In other words, just because most of the world is doing it does not mean it's the best approach. And this podcast is about going big. So I'm not going to necessarily give you a, well, an opinion that I want you to follow. I want you to form your own opinion. I want you to come to your own conclusion. Because what we're hearing in the mainstream press in the United States is wholly inaccurate. It is misleading. It is full of omission, might even say lying by omission, because there is a political slant to the news. And whether you believe there is an intentional collaboration for one perspective or another, or whether it's a passive unification of ideology, meaning that there are people just who think alike and are reporting the news through their own lens, whether you think that's deliberate or organic, today's podcast is going to give you a different perspective. Remember, this is about those people crazy enough to do things other people won't do, are afraid to do, or, well, they just don't have the capacity to stand up against the bigger story, the bigger narrative. Well, this podcast is about pushing against the grain. It's about going upstream instead of downstream. And it's about the path least followed. So if you have not already done so, I want you to subscribe to this podcast. And whether the topic is going big with a pandemic or going big in our personal lives or going big for business, this is your one-stop podcast for the big stuff, for the things that make you uncomfortable, for the things that challenge your thinking, for the things that get the gray matter in that head of yours stirring. And I want you to leave today's podcast in a sense of positive discomfort. I want you to have that intellectual strain that comes with hearing a perspective that you might not have heard or even better, you might not have ever thought you would have agreed with. Hold on tight because this is pretty, pretty remarkable. 
Today we're going to be talking about the Great Barrington Declaration. And if you've never heard of this, just Google it. It is out there for free. It is out there for you to read and consume and more importantly, share with others. And I'll talk about it on the other side. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this declaration to you and talk about it as I go through its, well, special meaning. So the Great Barrington Declaration. This is from infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists. Listen to what they have to say. They say we have grave concerns about the damage about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of prevailing COVID-19 policies. Meaning they have concerns about what we are doing here in the United States and in many other countries around the world. And they recommend an approach that they call focused protection. You won't hear that on any major network in the USA focused protection for COVID-19. Listen to this. Coming from both the left and the right and around the world, we have devoted our careers to protecting people. So these are not just political ideologues. They're, they're people that, are, that identify as left-wing. There are people that identify as right-wing. But what they say comes between them that brings them together is that they've devoted their careers to protecting people. That's what we want to hear. How do we protect people? How do we protect the most people? Listen to what they say next. Current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short and long-term public health. The results, to name a few, include lower childhood vaccination rates, worsening cardiovascular disease outcomes, fewer cancer screenings, and deteriorating mental health, leading to a greater excess in mortality in years to come. With the working class and younger members of our society carrying the heaviest burden. You've heard me say this before. These lockdowns hurt those with the least the most. The people who have no other option, the people who can't spend their way out of a challenge, the people who can't resource their way out of a challenge, those are the people that are going to hurt the most from these lockdown policies. And keeping students out of school is a grave injustice. And you know me, I've talked about fear. There's power when politicians use fear to impact the masses. Now, going back to the declaration, listen to what they said. And I'm going to give you their names at the end because they've signed this. This is not just something that is out there in the thoughtmosphere hiding. This is a deliberate, declarative, powerful piece of information. So these scientists say keeping these measures in place until a vaccine is available will cause irreparable damage with the underprivileged disproportionately harmed. Irreparable damage. How does a kid catch up in school if he or she is struggling? Disproportionately harmed. 
Now, the people that have the mouthpiece, the people with the megaphone, are not the underprivileged. They are the privileged of our society. So these doctors went on to say, fortunately, our understanding of the virus is growing. We now know that vulnerability to death from COVID-19 is more than a thousandfold higher in the old and infirm than in the young. Let me say that again. We know that vulnerability to death from COVID-19 is more than a thousandfold higher in the old and infirm than the young. And indeed, for children, COVID-19 is less dangerous than many other harms, including, wait for it, influenza, the flu. Do you know how hard it is for someone with power to make that statement without being labeled as a, as a, as a fringe thinker? If you compare COVID to the flu, you're, you're labeled, you're shamed. But listen to what these doctors are saying. For children, for children, COVID-19 is less dangerous than many other harms, including the seasonal flu. Now they go on to say, as immunity builds in the population, the risk of infection to all, including the vulnerable, falls. They say that we know that all populations will eventually reach herd immunity. For example, it's the point at which the rate of new infections is stable. And that this can be assisted by, but is not dependent on, a vaccine. They say our goal should be, therefore, to minimize mortality and social harm until we reach herd immunity. You've heard me podcast about herd immunity. You've heard me podcast about population immunity. It's not a popular conversation with most people, especially people in power. Now, these doctors went on to say the most compassionate approach that balances the risks and benefits of reaching herd immunity is to allow those who are at minimal risk of death to live their lives normally to build up immunity to the virus through natural infection while protecting better those who are at highest risk. They call this focused protection. And it's not a heavy lift to get to the idea that we protect those that are at most risk and allow those at minimal risk to build up an immunity. And if it weren't for people stoking fear, I think most people would agree with this. Now they go on to say that adopting measures to protect the vulnerable should be the central aim of public health responses to COVID-19. We in no way want to minimize the risk to those who are vulnerable. That's what they're saying. They go on to say that by way of example, nursing homes should use staff with acquired immunity and perform frequent PCR testing of other staff and all visitors. So PCR is a fancy way of saying that you have experienced the disease and that you have antibodies. Staff rotation should be minimized. 
Retired people living at a home should have groceries and other essentials delivered to their home. When possible, they should meet family members outside rather than inside. A comprehensive and detailed list of measures, including approaches to multi-generational households, can be implemented and is well within the scope and capability of public health professionals. So let's talk about that a minute. They're not saying throw grandmother and grandfather to the wolves. They're saying, hey, let's put together a strategy to protect our most vulnerable people. And by the way, I shared on this podcast, if you are over 90, the survivability rate is still right at around 85% for COVID-19. These doctors go on to say those who are not vulnerable should immediately be allowed to resume life as normal. (laughs) Let me say that again for listeners in New York, listeners in Washington State. Those who are not vulnerable should immediately be allowed to resume life as normal. There are people listening to this right now whose kids are still in remote learning exclusively. And these doctors are saying that is a bad idea. These doctors say simple hygiene measures such as hand washing and staying at home when sick should be practiced by everyone to reduce the herd immunity threshold. Schools and universities should be open for in-person teaching. Extracurricular activities such as sports should be resumed. Young low-risk adults should work normally rather than from home. Restaurants and other businesses should be open. Art, music, sport, and all other cultural activities should resume. There's a restaurant owner struggling right now because her restaurant is mandated to occupancy of less than 50%. She's behind on her bills. She can't pay her rent because we are keeping her from operating at an optimal level of business. And listen to what they say. These are the doctors. People who are more at risk may participate if they wish. There are some people who might say, you know, I'm in the latter part of my life and I don't want to live my life in isolation. I want to live my life with people, doing the things that I love, with the people I love. What these doctors are saying, if these people want to do this, they can participate if they wish. They go on to say, while society as a whole enjoys the protection conferred upon the vulnerable by those who have built up herd immunity. If you're new to this podcast, I've been podcasting about Sweden's approach since March. And I have been very careful not to say that they were doing the right thing or that we were doing the wrong thing when we locked down initially. I'm on the record saying many, many times that we did not know how bad this was in the beginning. 
and that we locked down just to make sure we could contain this thing. And the original edict was 15 days to slow the spread. Now, Sweden never locked down. They gave people encouragement. They used what I call powerful uh, nudges to get people to, to respect the virus, to wash their hands, to limit huge gatherings. But Sweden's been pretty much business as normal, business as usual. And now they're seeing their death rate go down. But let me read this last sentence to you again. People who are more at risk may participate in normal activities if they wish. While society as a whole enjoys the protection conferred upon the vulnerable by those who have built up herd immunity. Here's my thesis. This is this is kind of where I went mentally at about July and August. I got to the point where I was thinking logically. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm just a data nerd. I like to follow the data and the science and see where it goes. But I came to this realization that the only way that we're really going to protect the vulnerable is by allowing those who are healthy and least at risk to build up a resistance to the virus. In other words, we want as many people in our communities to become blockers of the virus. They get exposed, they don't get sick, they do not pass it on. That's logical to me. I'm a, I'm a neophyte when it comes to epidemiology. I'm, I'm, I'm a beginner. But that logic transcends the science. It, it just makes sense. If you have a disease that is harmful to a small part of the population who is very vulnerable, and you have a large part of the population who is not likely to have a major reaction to the virus, what is illogical about them getting through the virus, developing immunity so that they no longer transmit the virus? It's like in firefighting, one of the ways that you prevent fires is by a controlled burn. You burn the fuel so that it cannot catch fire. So what I hear these scientists say is that a controlled burn in nature with fire is the same as a controlled infection, what they call focused protection, so that the healthy people get exposed to the virus, they become resistant to the virus, and they are no longer able to transmit the virus. And this declaration, I believe, will be the essential learning that sustains itself in years to come when we reflect upon, when we write about, when we study the social impacts of this coronavirus. I think we're all going to end up right here, right here in what we call the Great Barrington Declaration. It will all end up here. And I'm not saying that to say, I told you so. I'm not saying that to, to do anything that is self-promoting. But I want to reward this podcast listener, those who listen to this podcast with information they're not going to get anywhere else. So this declaration, the Great Barrington Declaration, was signed on October 4th, 2020. And it was signed and authored 
in Great Barrington, United States by listen to these three doctors and listen to their credentials because I think their credentials will speak for itself. The first to author and sign the Great Barrington Declaration is Dr. Martin Kulldorff. He is a professor of medicine at Harvard University. He is a biostatistician and he is an epidemiologist with expertise in detecting and monitoring infection disease outbreaks and vaccine safety evaluations. Wow. I told you signed by three doctors. The second doctor is Dr. Sunetra Gupta, professor at Oxford University an epidemiologist with expertise in immunology, vaccine development, and mathematical modeling of infectious diseases. Wow. And listen to the third doctor, Dr. J. Bhattacharya, professor at Stanford University Medical School, a physician, epidemiologist, health economist, and public health policy expert focusing on infectious diseases and vulnerable populations. If you want to know what's going on, ask an econ. An econ studies the data. And Dr. J is a health economist. So you have three doctors, one from Harvard, one from Oxford, and one from Stanford. And whether you agree with this or not, those are prestigious schools. Those are schools that have a very positive reputation for science. Got to follow the science. That's what everybody's saying. Follow the science. These are three professors. These are scientists. These are epidemiologists. They specialize in infectious disease outbreaks. They specialize in mathematical modeling. They're health policy experts. They're the science. And they authored this declaration. And it's been signed by over 500,000 people around the world. It's been signed by, get this, over 10,000 doctors around the world. It is the preeminent thinking that is not in the news. And when, when people look at this, when people analyze this in the future, I think they're going to come back to the great Barrington Declaration as the preeminent, as the most reasonable as the most strategic approach to COVID-19. And if you, if you look at this website, if you want to read this for yourself, if you want to go through this and make your own opinion, here's the website. It is at gbdeclaration.org. The Great Barrington Declaration is at G is in George, B is in Bravo, declaration.org. 
You can read it for yourself. You can analyze it for yourself. It's translated into 32 languages. <coughs> it's not COVID. It's translated into 32 languages all over the world. It's been signed by doctors all over the world. And it is your unfiltered, unpolitical, unideological recommendations for COVID-19. So if you want to interact with me, you can find me at johngrubs.com. Hey, be sure and uh, make sure that you contact me at johngrubs.com. There's a, there's a place where you can, you can send me an email directly and, and ask me questions. You can disagree with me. Uh, there's a lot of free information on my website for people to to have with regard to leadership, to, to sales, to, to whatever it is that you're doing in life, there's a place for you to learn. It's, it's a learning community. That's what I wanted to build at johngrubs.com was a place for learning where you could go and be absorbed by uh, many articles that I've written. You can be absorbed by many videos that I've uh, created on YouTube. Uh, many are posted on my website. There's even a, a, a place where you can go to just just immerse yourself in information uh, and something else really cool. I will give you a free copy of my book, uh, Leadership Among Idiots, published in 2009. All you have to do is go to the middle page uh, of my homepage and you will see that there's a place where you can click and download that book. You can download it as a PDF file or you can download it as a Mobi file if you consume your uh, books on Kindle. So with that being said, the Great Barrington Declaration.org, GBDeclaration.org, because this is a podcast for crazy people, people crazy enough to win, people crazy enough to go against the grain, people crazy enough to push back against the narrative. Until next time.